0: Hello and welcome to day 19 of Crikey's Election Cast. It's Friday the 29th of April, I'm Cam Wilson. After what felt like eons behind Mark McGowan's Iron Wall, Western Australia opened its borders just in time for the federal election. A question that's now crucial to this contest is just how much has the political landscape changed in WA since the last poll? Earlier today, Crikey's Tips and Murmurs editor, Charlie Lewis, was interviewed by our associate editor, Amber Schultz.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and happy Friday. Welcome to Crikey's Daily Election Cast, where we're giving you an independent and honest look at all the politics, policy and politicians antics in the lead up to the federal election. My name's Amber Schultz. I'm Cracky's Associate Editor, and today I'll be speaking to Cracky reporter Charlie Lewis about the election battle in Western Australia. He'll be joining us from Perth, where he's just touched down. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Amber. Thanks for having me.
2: Also, it's morning here, not afternoon. I just want to make that clear. <laughs>
1: Good morning, then. Good morning. <laughs> You've just touched down in Perth, and it's not only the same day COVID restrictions have eased, but it's also the same day Albanese announced he's headed there. Uh, what's the mood like? Yeah. I mean, as I say, I should
2: probably preface any kind of, um, any answer with, I've only been here a couple of days, so I've, I've, I can't really say that I'm completely soaked in the mood. Although I am, uh, before I worked at Crikey, I, I lived in, in Perth for uh, for 15 years. Um, I think it's interesting. There's a, there's a few things. I think there's an excitement in WA because they the people I've spoken to are aware that for the first time in a while, they could really be a major factor in deciding the outcome of the election. Um, There's obviously a lot of um, happiness and kind of optimism that's come out of the the lifting of, of COVID restrictions, WA uh, because of how obviously the the pandemic has sort of worked out over here is sort of, back closer to something like what we had had in the eastern states uh, that sort of finished late last year. And, and those restrictions are now um, finishing today. The, only, the other thing that was interesting sort of with the people I've spoken to was a sort of bafflement that the locked border was was sort of interpreted as an act of hostility towards the east. They, they were sort of mm-hmm. like, we just wanted we just were just living our lives. We weren't really thinking about it very much. We um, and that was very interesting to me. That's That's not how it was sort of it felt from over there, I think.
1: Yeah, of course. How, how very strange and interesting. And of course, that's um, bolstered a lot of support for Mark McGowan. So you did say in a piece earlier this week that WA could be the state to turn the election. It's traditionally been a bit of a coalition stronghold at the federal level. What do you
2: think's changed this year? Well, there's a few things. And yeah, as you say, um, since since Bob Hawke left office, um, it's been W.A. has been very unreceptive to to federal Labour pitches. I mean, the, the interesting one is in, in the Rudd slide of 2007, uh, W.A. was the only place where Labour actually lost a seat. Um, and so that's been the case for the last 30 years is that is that Labour has never matched, let alone exceeded the number of lower house uh, candidates that the, the, the coalition has managed. Um, I think the one of the big factors, um, and I'm sure we'll get into the Mark McGowan of it all uh, very soon. But one of the one of the interesting kind of factors behind the scenes is obviously the the exodus of a lot of high profile um, WA Liberal Party figures. So obviously uh, Julie Bishop, who was the former deputy leader, was a very popular member for Curtin, uh, and she she um, quit at the last election. Um, not only did she take away her her own Sort of personal popularity in the seat, uh, but her considerable uh, fundraising abilities would be very sorely missed by the party. Former finance minister Matthias Cormann, quite a high-profile figure and quite a well-regarded member of the government, obviously went to the OECD. Um, and of course, uh, in the sort of most messy and sort of sensational of, of, of circumstances, Christian Porter, uh, the former Attorney General, is is not contesting his seat uh, of Pierce um, this time around. Obviously, we've also got figures like Linda Reynolds, who cuts quite a diminished figure following the, the, the the scandal regarding her office and Brittany Higgins over the last year. So, in that way, of course, at a federal level, the Liberal Party looks a little bit diminished. And as I say, we can we can get into the into the Mark McGowan sort of section of that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of losses for the Liberal. Let's let's touch on Mark, Mark McGowan. What do you think? Uh, what impact do you think the premier's monster win in 2021 could have fe- federally? Because it was a, a landslide win
2: it was i mean it's, it's a win for which there has to be a new term landslide doesn't quite seem adequate he um he reduced the liberal party in the lower house in wa to two people they could they could come to work on the same you know on a, on a motorbike and a sidecar um uh and there's a few sort of impacts that that obviously has one obviously it tarnishes the liberal brand in the state and and gives labor uh, you know a real boost in terms of its credibility but it also um it was pointed out by Gareth Parker in wa today a bit earlier this week that a loss like that Really does wipe out a lot of the infrastructure that parties, uh, even at a federal level, rely on to to campaign effectively. Suddenly, you've got less offices on the ground, you've got less staffers, you've got less of the machinery that allows you to have a successful campaign. Um, so that, that that has a very big practical impact, as well as a kind of um, as, as well as uh, just the the wiping out of of your opponents. And it also led to a really uh, messy, acrimonious, quite public. Uh, kind of falling out with the Liberal Party, as you would expect. There was a a, a searing party review, which uh, was, was so searing that actually one of the people it was about threatened defamation and, and sections of the review had to be removed. The second one, I suppose, is obviously Scott Morrison and his relationship with the state in the last couple of years. Ultimately, the, the reason, the, the, at the very core of it, the thing that Gave uh, Mark McGowan the the incredible level of electoral popularity that he's enjoyed over the last year um, is 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 that he locked the the eastern states out of the of of the state and and then spared Western Australia a lot of the worst effects of, of the COVID pandemic. At the, at the height of that, uh, Scott Morrison and his government uh, backed Clive Palmer's attempts to legally bring that wall down. Uh, that was one of them. You, know, th- th- you could not pick a more popular policy to try and destroy from the federal point of view. And I can't imagine they were thinking about the federal election when they made that decision. So it's very, I mean, it's very predictable that since that time, in the last few months, there's been a lot more conciliatory noises from the federal government towards Mark McGowan about, you know, that they're both very strong leaders. They're both people who can get things done, um, which is a bit of a change from... Uh, I think it was September last year when when he when Morrison compared WA to the cave dwellers of the crudes and that they have to they have to emerge into the light one day. And, and one actually one, one other factor which is interesting and very unpredictable is some people I've spoken to in Labor there's a little bit of um worry that potentially the popularity of McGowan could actually kind of work against uh, the Labor Party in the federal level because people might choose to vote uh, for the Liberals as a kind of check on the Labor power Labor Party's power in the state. I don't know if that's actually true. That's how voters think but it's 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 definitely a factor that some people are considering
1: yeah they might be getting too powerful that leads uh really well onto a question that one of crikey's twitter followers asked which is how can wa be such a stronghold for labor at a state level yet so consistently vote coalition federally
2: yeah that's a really interesting question and i suppose one thing you should one thing i should preface that with is that it hasn't always been such a um, such a stronghold f- for the Labour Party. I mean, Mark McGowan won quite comfortably in 2017, and then obviously uh, blitzed it in 2021. But prior to that, there'd been nine years of Liberal government under under Colin Barnett. And really, if you if you look at the kind of state government makeup going back to the, again to the, the early 90s, it kind of seesaws. It's usually seven years of Labour, seven you know seven ish years of, of Liberals, and it kind of seesawed between the two of them. So it's it, it only it's only been a, a sort of stronghold for Labour at the state level, you know, quite recently. I and mean, I suppose. That there's a, there's a few things, isn't it? People are, are thinking about different things when they vote at a state level, as opposed to when they vote at a federal level. I think you want different things from from each level of government. I think the other the other real uh, advantage that that Labor has, uh, in particular in this state, is that it doesn't have some of the same internal tensions, perhaps in terms of the voters that it has to appeal to, uh, as the Federal Labour Party does. The Federal Labour Party obviously has to hold together, in some ways, a slightly a difficult coalition of, of different people who generally vote um, would vote more to the left. Uh, for, I, mean, I guess a good example of this would be with resources and climate change. The, the Western Australian Labour Party very openly has a very good relationship with the resources sector in WA, so it doesn't have to have those same kind of rhetorical trickery that, that say, um, the Labour often gets accused of in terms of trying to say one thing in Northern Queensland and another thing in melbourne
1: Mm, absolutely okay so you've been there just for a few days and taking that into account uh but taking in the wealth of knowledge you have by being being a uh born bred there what what
2: have you seen so far so um yeah, as I say, only only a little sort of foray so far. The main thing I've done so far is the um was a, a Hasluck candidates forum, uh, which was basic, which is entirely based around climate change. So Hasluck is kind of a, a sort of outer metro eastern suburbs. See, it takes in a lot of the Perth Hills area, uh, and it was organised by a group called the Perth Hills Climate Change Interest Group, which is a, a beautifully clunky little uh, name for it. And and the, the, the people of of the hills. Uh, area. They're they're one of the many groups in in Australia that that climate change is not an abstract concept for those guys anymore. This is very real. They have a huge at the best of times, they have huge issues with with bushfires in that area. Um, So they've organized a a forum that was entirely sort of uh, about climate change. Um, It's interesting that uh, the Ken Wyatt, has like, is another of the seats that, that Labour think they could possibly have brought back into the mix. It's currently held by Ken Wyatt, the Indigenous Affairs Minister. Prior to Ken Wyatt, uh, who's held it, I believe, for three terms, um, prior to his him him taking on that seat, it was a, a real marginal seat, and it would he saw between the two parties. Uh, since he's had taken it on, he's he's made it quite a bit safer. But obviously, there's a the sense that he could be, he could be in trouble this time around. He didn't actually show to this, this candidate's forum. And I suppose in some ways, he It would have been very hard for him. Uh, the, the, climate change is, is a tricky one for the major parties. Anyway, we, we all know that in terms of the different uh, competing interest groups that they've got to kind of keep happy. But this was obviously only a day or two after Matt Canavan had come out and um, announced basically that the net zero policy uh, that, the, that the coalition had was effectively dead. So he, he would have a very hard time coming to a climate change themed event and sort of. Putting his case forward. What What struck me is quite funny, though, is that so so who did show up was um, Tanya Lawrence, the the Labour candidate for the seat, uh, the Greens candidate, uh, Brennan Stirk, uh, a, a quite impressive um, independent called uh, Janine Williams um and and it was the united australia party's candidate will scott i I think given if if there's if there's an issue where you think you'll be less popular than the guy representing clive palmer in western australia you you have to worry slightly about your ability to prosecute your case
1: absolutely (laughs) and uh throwing forward what do you think's next for the campaign what are you looking forward to seeing
2: well, there's I mean, there's a lot of stuff sort of in in the immediate future that I think will be really interesting. So um, this afternoon I'm going to a candidates forum uh, in the seat of Curtain. Now, the seat of Curtain is Julie Bishop's old seat, and uh, it was used to be um, a kind of rolled gold kind of liberal uh, safe seat. You could sort of pencil that one in without even thinking about it. Um, once Julie Bishop left, it's still it's still very safe. Celia Hammond, who's a much more conservative figure, or considered a much more conservative figure than Bishop was, was was appointed to replace her, and so that, that there was a big swing. Against her in in the 2019 election, but it's still it was so safe at the start that it's still extremely safe now. Um, but that's not really considered to be the case anymore. There's a this is a, where the the independents who who've been sort of dominating so much coverage really comes into into play in WA. Uh, Kate Cheney, who's a, a kind of uh, reasonably high profile local figure with quite a quite a strong liberal pedigree, actually is running as an independent against against Celia Hammond this time. And there is there is a sense that this one could actually be really close. And again, I suppose it, it always comes down to it, this is a problem for the Liberal Party in, in a few ways. One, obviously they don't want to lose their safest seat in the state. That would be disastrous for them. But it also meant that with when 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 Bishop had it and it was incredibly safe, and she was a very good fundraiser, she could she could make a lot of money that could be spent on other seats. Now those resources are going to have to be used to protect a uh, curtain, which yeah, so it's sort of a double whammy for them and then obviously after that as you, as you mentioned um it was announced uh, today or yesterday that that Albanese uh, out of ISO, is is flying into to western australia tonight and that is ahead of the uh labor party uh, campaign launch that's happening on sunday so that's as a real sign of of how important the major parties I think WA is this time around. This is the first time any of the major parties have held their campaign launch in Western Australia. And I'm also just uh, going to see uh, Kevin Rudd, who's also in town. Uh, he's promoting his book, but I believe he's also doing some door knocking on, on Labor's behalf. So uh, a lot going on in the next couple of days.
1: Mm, all eyes on WA. Well, thank you so much, Charlie, for joining us. That's Charlie Lewis, our Tips and Moments Editor at Crikey. We will be back on Monday at the same time. Uh, but keep an eye out for our afternoon edition of the Crikey Daily. Uh, we are publishing twice a day across the election. And if you'd like to listen up on previous podcasts, uh, you can find Crikey's election cast on most podcast platforms. I'm Crikey Associate Editor Amber Schultz. Thank you so much for tuning in and speak with you again next week.
0: That was Charlie Lewis, Crikey's Tips and Murmurs Editor, talking to Associate Editor Amber Schultz. Thank you, as always, for listening to Crikey's Election Cast. That is all for this week. If you have a spare moment, we'd really appreciate it if you could review us on whatever podcast platform you choose. And as always, don't forget, there's plenty of coverage of the election and more at crikey.com.au. See you next week.